Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Disciple Making. I'm Tim Beadle with my friend Darren Ride. Disciple Making. Jesus calls us to go into the world and make disciples or make disciples, and we're committed to that commandment, to that cause. And over the past few weeks, we've been working through uh, Damien Girk's book, In the Way. Uh, and we are talking specifically in these weeks how the church engages with people. Obviously, uh, Jesus is the head of the church. And in 100 years from now, the only thing that really matters is uh, how we engage with people, just as Jesus came to engage with people. So uh, you're going to take the lead on this one, uh, Darren. So where are we heading this week? Yeah, we're at, we're at the 18th contrast that we worked through, actually. And this one has to do with, it'll, it'll make sense in a second, converts cultural impact. And so it's like, how do our people who come to faith interact and relate to the culture? And the contrast here between the legacy church and disciple-making movements is extraction versus infusion. And maybe let me just kind of set this up a little bit more. If you think of, of missions, classic missions where people go overseas, you know, they, they learned over the years that it was much better to equip indigenous people to reach their own people than have a missionary just do all of the reaching. You know, and so, so that same idea, you know, as we think about being missional, you know, in our, in our current context, the idea is that it's not always an outsider, i.e. a pastor, you know, evangelizing into some subculture, but as people are reached, they are, they maintain their contact in their subculture and they, and they are, they're involved in evangelism, disciple making there. So Legacy church will tend to extract people, not necessarily, but will tend to. Whereas if you're going to have a disciple-making movement, people need to be infused in their culture of origin and make disciples there. So that's that's the high-level umbrella, Tim. Do you see this happening? Does it make sense uh, as, a, as a contrast? Yeah. Like when you use that word extraction, I think of sitting in the dental chair. <laughs> it's a painful operation and something's taken out never to return. Um, when, when I was reading through this, the, when I was reading through this and preparing, uh, I came up with a question that I've asked people before uh, that really, really forces us to consider this principle. Here, here's the question. Why, after we are saved, doesn't Jesus just transport us immediately to heaven? Hmm. Why does he leave us behind? Uh, ultimately, he's going to come back and uh, take us to be to that place that he's prepared. Uh, but why does he leave us? Why, you know, we're saved. Uh, why doesn't he just take us to heaven? There must be some purpose that he leaves us here. And as we're going to discuss today, there's two different approaches historically. Uh, but how the church has viewed this and maybe how the Bible teaches we are to uh, associate and interact with the culture around us. Hmm, yeah. And Jesus himself gave us the imagery of salt yep. and light. Yep. And there's also another similar image in, in Paul's writings of perfume. And they all kind of communicate the same thing, the idea of permeating something and being present. And that's clearly Jesus' plan. And yet too often, I think, and I include myself in this, 
in, in the church context, we extract people from their culture. We keep them busy with church programming in a centralized location, and they begin to lose that contact, that saltiness and that light in their culture and tribe of origin. Yeah, I also thought the you know, salt and light only work in association with whatever it is. Mm-hmm. For instance, French fries <laughs> or a dark room, you turn on the lights. Uh, but I agree, uh, extraction basically means that we take people out from their normal family or tribe and we immerse them so fully in the church that they actually become disengaged either relationally uh, so that they almost socially don't fit anymore. Uh, whereas the infusion is rather than take them out, we enter with them back into their circle of friends, family for the uh, full impact of, of the gospel message. Like Jesus said that we are to be in the world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, in Romans 12, it warns us not to conform to the pattern of the world, but we don't do that by staying away. It's impossible to stay away from the, well, the hermits. Uh, but we are to conform to the pattern because we are to live a life with a difference. That's the whole point of our presence in the world. And also Jesus in John 17, he sent us into the world. We have been sent. And therefore we can't stay in a holy huddle if we've been sent out into the world. Well, yeah, and from a disciple-making standpoint, an evangelistic standpoint, Tim, you know, I love the way Damien words it here. We can, we extract people sometimes from the, the group with which they have the greatest affinity, the highest credibility, yeah. the deepest yeah. level of trust. Exactly. <laughs> and we yank them out, and, and they get isolated from that group and lose those things over time. And then we maybe try to parachute them back in, but yeah. it's not what it once was. And there's a balance here. Like, there is an appropriate leaving in the sense of not conforming. That's right. But but we we do not leave our families, we don't leave our neighborhoods, we don't leave our workplaces when we come to Christ, and we're still called to be engaged in some way. And so there's, I think there's a bit of a dynamic tension in this one, Tim, that it's not like one or the other, because we are called to be different, but we are called, as you say, to be in it, but not of it. Yeah, there's a balance that we have to establish. I think sometimes we lean more towards the extraction Because uh, when newcomers, new converts come into the church, they're on our turf where we feel more comfortable Mm. and in control. Uh, But Paul says, you know, in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, uh, when he talks about his relationship with those in the world, that that he became all things to all people. Mm. To the weak, he became weak. And so it shows that um, he's actually becoming like them, not of them, uh, but like them. to save some. And then he says, for the sake of the gospel and its blessings. So uh, the motivating factor of why we go and spend time in the social circles, the lifestyle of those who've just come to Christ is uh, for the sake of the gospel and and its blessings. And even Jesus was criticized for hanging out with Mm. sinners and and the like, uh, because Jesus didn't have a problem with this. Uh, he said, well, it's, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. But, mm-hmm. but he was continually criticized for spending time with those that others, the churchy people, as it were, the Pharisees of the day, thought were the undesirables and they didn't want to get uh, tainted by association with them. Yeah, and and we you know we carry that out. I think our centralized model of ministry caters to that a little bit. There's a philosophy behind that. You know, I remember some people coming to faith 
uh, from, you know, a very non-church background years ago. And one of the hardest things they faced was that they lost their friends. And yeah. part of the reason they lost their friends was that they withdrew from them completely. And they immersed in church stuff, but the church itself couldn't replace that complete subculture. We no. couldn't replace their tribe. We can't program enough to replace someone's entire social setting. And so what happens is they get withdrawn from their from their tribe into a new subculture, but that subculture is not 24-7. No, it isn't. And so, you know, they still have work, they still have neighborhoods. And if we get, get people to cut off from those things, they become very lonely very quickly. Yeah. And they start to equate the gospel and following Jesus with being completely ostracized yeah. and absent from the world from which they're part of. And that's uh, that's unfortunate that uh, that they feel that way. And again, I remember this person, one person in particular, she really wrestled with this. She just felt like she had no friends. She had friends in the church, but not enough friends or the kind of friends that she could do stuff with. Exactly. And it was a real crisis of faith. Yeah, I, I had a couple in my last church and um, they both used to work in the same establishment. And then she came to faith in Jesus and she got so sucked into the church, you know, because everything was new and novel and people were spending a lot of time with her, that her husband, they actually developed marital problems because mm. the wife no longer hung out with her husband and their their former friends. Wow. Uh, just for the sake of, um, she probably had false teaching that, that they, she needed to turn her back. But people don't th- think through the relational reality of that, that we are to be in the world, but not of it. And therefore, we have no choice but to learn how to translate our faith, whether it be salt and light or as ambassadors for Christ, and to be used rather than running and hiding and playing it safe, as it were. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think, Tim, I don't think even in a legacy setting that we need to be as extractional as we sometimes get. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's I don't think it's a given, you know, just going to a gathering once a week does not extract you from your tribe or your culture. No, no. I think, I, I think it's partly if you get too busy with the centralized church stuff, or if there is a mindset or a teaching of withdrawing from culture that is unbiblical in the sense that you're no longer salt, you're no longer light, yeah. then that becomes damaging. Uh, you know, but, but I don't think, uh, I don't think we have to go that way, even with the legacy church, that there is room to be involved in quote, the Christian subculture yeah. while still fully engaged in our tribe and our, our other subculture, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And I think sometimes many Christians don't have any non-Christian friends or that they work, you know, they work with non-Christians and things like that, but they don't, they don't spend time socially. They, they don't have good experience with them. And therefore they, they don't naturally levitate back yeah. with the new believer into their world because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I think that that's an area of growth and a point of challenge for each one of us to really consider how much time do we spend in the church, as it were? How much time do we spend in the world? Just making friends for the sake of being friendly yeah, and, and allowing the spirit to do the work all the time. But it's almost like it's either or not both and. Yeah, and we we need to as leaders, as disciple makers, we need to model the alternative. Yeah, you know, so, so with the people working with. Otherwise, uh, and and we'll get to this, I think, in future chapters. You know, if if I as a quote pastor immersed in the Christian subculture, 
I'm discipling someone within that subculture completely, boy, that makes it really difficult for them to do the same thing. That's not reproducible because they're not a pastor, right? And so we need to somehow, even as, quote, vocational ministers, if that's who we are, and some of our listeners are falling in the category, we need to somehow model being involved in things outside the church. I, I've, you know, I made some pretty strong comments once that have come back and people have talked with me about them in the past about, you know, if, if, uh, uh, if your lead pastor, if your pastor has no non-church friends, maybe he shouldn't be pastoring, yeah. you know, and, and, and because we're called to model that. But I think you're onto something, Tim, that's not comfortable. It's not our place of comfort or our place of authority, that's our right. place of knowledge. And that should be a reminder of how difficult it is for someone to break into our subculture because it's not yeah. their world. And we're the ones that we're called to go, not just invite them. That again starts to bridge back to some things we've already talked about. Yeah, and, and culture is changing as well. So one of the challenges that comes out of this, if we really are to be infused back into the culture of those who are newly coming to Christ, we need to become students of culture. Mm-hmm. We, we need to have our hand on the pulse of culture and realize that while we may not have an authority base socially, ultimately uh, the authority of Christ uh, is ours with him. Mm-hmm. And if we are living under the authority of Christ, he's saying, follow me because I'm going back out into the world. <laughs> Mm. And and the authority is that all things are under his control. And this basically is his plan. That's why he doesn't extract us from the world yeah. after we're saved into our heavenly home forever. He leaves us because that's his plan, that we would be, uh, you know, light salts. We've said we would be his ambassadors. We would actually follow him to the point that we follow him back into the world and live a life that makes a difference, that asks gets people to scratch their heads and say, I wonder where he... they're like that. You know, Matthew, it says, uh, uh, let your light shine and do such good works that people will sort of scratch their heads and they'll try to figure it out and give glory to God in heaven, even though they may not understand exactly who we are. And also to realize that if people are to come to Christ, sometimes they, they almost have to be converted to us as just nice people, people that mm-hmm. they don't mind hanging around. And because of that, then there's an opening for us to introduce them uh, to Jesus rather than just be so distanced that they'd never really want to hang out with us anyway. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're, you're, you're really hinting at something you haven't said explicitly, but I'll say it, that sometimes the Christian subculture is weird. And boring. <laughs> weird and boring, you know, and just, and just yeah, we, we, we can be very uptight. And, and I'm not just talking, you know, traditional... I'm talking in general. We we are we are a subculture. Need to recognize yeah. that, but but you know I think it's getting easier, Tim. Uh, if if you pay attention to the larger culture, to be spiritual in our culture. That's right. Being yeah. spiritual and even being you know pro Jesus and, and who what he stands for is not as um, out there as it used to be. People are respectful of spirituality now. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are respectful of dialogue. Uh, you're no longer, I mean, it's been very interesting to me, Tim, in this last little while, just to see how many secular people are starting to turn against alcohol, yeah, <laughs> against right. drugs. You know, that's becoming culturally acceptable. Whereas, whereas as Christians, we've often wrestled with, oh, should we or shouldn't we? Well, culturally, yeah. it's acceptable to say no to some of this stuff. Exactly. In fact, I've even come across recently and some of the, some of the uh, people I follow online who are not believers, who are starting to basically say, you know what? 
based on everything that happens sexually when you're involved with someone, it yeah. makes sense not to be sexually involved with someone until yeah. you're fully committed to them. And exactly. so, you know, the world is going that way. And I think as Christians, we can be engaged in that and and take an appropriate stand being in the world, not of it, and not as weird as maybe we used to be in doing that. Yeah, and I think when people maybe challenge us for our views, um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that we give up our faith or the standards by which we live, but we have to learn how to translate them properly. Uh, if you don't feel as I wouldn't feel comfortable going to like a, a, a restricted movie, mm-hmm. rather than just say, oh, no, I can't do that. It's sort of like against my religion. Uh, you rather than that, why not give another alternative, a healthy alternative, and just be all in? And it, it's amazing how by giving a healthy alternative, rather than saying, "No, I can't do that. I can't do that," uh, people actually enjoy the alternative, and it doesn't always have to be their way or the highway type of thing as well. Oh yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking as you're saying that, Tim, of my my daughter's wedding, um, which was. Uh, well, it was a great wedding. It was my daughter's. I got to speak yeah. at it and stuff, so it was wonderful. <laughs> but uh, you know, they had this reception held at a in a church gym. They had no alcohol. Yeah. They didn't have a big dance and stuff. And I'm not saying you know, hundred percent you're evil if you do that stuff. They chose not to do that. And a lot of the people who came to this thing were non-church people. And one in particular said that was the best yeah. wedding yeah. I've ever yeah. been to. It was just fun. The stuff yeah. that was done at the reception was fun. It was clean. It was wholesome. It was comfortable. It was daytime, not nighttime. Yeah. And we need to learn how to, like you said, healthy, life-giving alternatives. People who are open to that. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And I think that honors God because I think that's what Jesus would be doing as well. He he always sort of uh, raised the standard. Sort of, He didn't come to change, uh, put the world upside down, but right side up. And so he always gives a a wholesome alternative. And when you actually uh, participate in things like that, it's actually quite contagious. And when people see people enjoying themselves in something that's wholesome and healthy, uh, they don't mind that. We just have to realize that if we are going to go back into the culture of the person who's come to Christ, it it may be uncomfortable for a while. Uh, Mm. we We may feel like the outsider now, yeah. Uh, but that's the price you have to pay. And it's because of the love of that person and the love mm-hmm. of the gospel and the love of Christ, uh, why he is sending us into the world, that we just have to suck it up and learn and take it and not be uh, in, in, in the driver's seat anymore and go along for the ride, maintaining our boundaries. But all of a sudden, if, if uh, we are Christ's followers, uh, the spirit of Christ will use us to permeate in the lives of others, something, as you talked about, like fragrance, uh, you know, perfume, uh, lights, and, and it'll be a refreshing alternative. I really believe that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's, a, here's this quote uh, from, from In the Way. The gospel doesn't and shouldn't call for us to dispense with our culture and replace it with a church culture. Yeah. Instead, the gospel calls us to redeem culture. Yeah. And, you know, my belief is, Tim, that every culture, and I would include our subcultures and in, in, in our communities and everything else, every culture has something, yes, that needs to be challenged by the gospel. Yeah. But every culture has things that can be affirmed by the gospel yeah. and, and emphasized by the gospel. Things that we can focus in on and, and bolster and really 
uh, you know, give some positive input into that culture and subculture. And so I think we need to learn to think, you know, I mean, people have been saying it for years, learn to think like missionaries. That's right. Because <laughs> now we are missionaries in a, in a sense. We are in a countercultural situation and we need to be willing to step out and learn how to engage and become a fragrance in that subculture. Yeah. And I'm thinking uh, in the old days, if someone was away because uh, from church, because you're hanging out with a non-Christian friend or a new believer, we would sort of say, oh, well, what's happening to their faith? Uh, whereas today, if you knew that someone's going to be away from church for the next two or three weeks, because you're spending time with a new believer's family, yeah. I think that that's the new normal that would be acceptable in this disciple-making movement uh, mindset, is that we're, we're planting seeds, we're building bridges, and and I think that's the way of the future. And uh, what I'm learning in our church from our intercultural ministry is simply this, is that you can't extract, you actually have to build bridges into people and their cultures as they come to Canada. So we can do that sociologically and culturally, but we also have to learn how to do it spiritually. We, we have to rejoice and celebrate with people what is wholesome about their own culture. Uh, their their celebrations, their practices, and there can be a lot of fun. I I, I remember that uh, movie. I think my big fat Greek mother's wedding or something like that, <laughs> uh, where where this guy is just totally out of his element because mm-hmm. he's marrying this this woman who's Greek, and he has to just become like Greek to them because, and he just makes a fool of himself. But by the end of it, he's having so much fun because there's so much wholesome stuff in that culture, mm-hmm. even though it's totally foreign to him. And uh, I think that that's an ongoing challenge to me. Uh, maybe we found the savior, but are we following the savior in terms of keeping in touch with the world around us? Oh, yeah. No, and again, back, you pointed to Jesus again there appropriately, because Jesus really did model this. We sometimes think that he was doing all this stuff within, quote, the Jewish culture. On one level, he was, but he was a rabbi. Yeah. He was he was of the, quote, spiritual class in a lot of ways, and yet he bridged and moved in both of those subcultures, the, the hyper-spiritualistic, legalistic subculture. He could relate to them and talk to them, and those who were outcasts from that subculture, he could relate to them and he was attractive to them. Yeah, exactly. Regardless of which one. So there's, there's a, there's a lesson there. And I know, um, you know, there's certainly a growing area for me, Tim, but I know with our, with our group here, um, it's pretty clear. We, we've said explicitly, we've got our scheduled times. We get together. If you have an opportunity to spend time with someone who doesn't know the Lord, instead of coming to our meeting, you don't even have to have to ask the question. (laughs) You do that. You do that. That is the priority. And sometimes we build bridges with those outside of the church by joining them in common social needs. Uh, like, like right now, our members of our church family are hosting Ukrainian refugees. Mm. And uh, Heather and I and our small group are specifically working with a family. And all of a sudden, there's neighbors and friends of neighbors because of the need of those who are coming to Canada from the mm. Ukraine. It doesn't matter what you, we're, we're all, we're all unloading the truck the other night. We're all donating. We're going down to Costco and, and, and we're going to Ikea and buying things. Uh, you know, the whole spiritual thing doesn't matter. It's because there's a need that we have to address. And based on that, we actually 
develop experiences with those outside of the family of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, that will become a reference point when we can look back together and say, hey, remember when we helped this family? And mm-hmm. that, that's where we can have common ground in doing good works towards people. Yeah, what you've just described there is is infusion. It's yeah. not extraction, yeah. it's infusion. It yeah. Being involved with people and community needs, that is an, that is an excellent bridge. Yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, I think we've kind of, Worked it over pretty good here, Tim. The the challenge is don't extract or don't extract yourself and don't extract new believers from their tribe. So learn how to be infused on how to be salt and light and perfume and represent Jesus well there. So we can be enthused by being infused. <laughs> maybe maybe we can land the, the plane there. This has been a good chat about something that uh, sometimes goes against the status quo of what we're used to. It, it challenges the boundaries in our life and our comfort zone. But let, let's follow Jesus into the world. He's already in the world waiting for us to catch up to him. Mm-hmm. So this is Tim with my friend Darren. Uh, this is another look inside the Legacy Church versus a church of uh, disciple-making movements. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or ChristFollowerDNA.com. please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.